But I do love that we were talking about college because I had that dream where I was very stressed out that we were in college, which I constantly have dreams that I am back at redacted college trying very specifically to get a personal pizza at the new personal pizza station at the new dining hall that they built my senior year. That's terrible. That ruined the character of the college, but whatever. If that's enough for you to know <laughs> what college I'm talking about, then yeah, you should know because you feel my pain. But I have a lot of dreams where I'm trying to get this specific personal pizza, right? Like this is a recurring dream that I can think of at least 10 individual instances off the top of my head. And we have been out of college for a number of years. I love yeah, that this, this is still This is not in your brain. a fresh wound, but it's just something that I dream about. So this wasn't one of those dreams, but it was a different college dream where you and I and a bunch of our friends from the city where you live were all at this dream college together. And I was trying to find you because nobody knew where you were. And I was like, I got this. I'm going to find Rin. And then I couldn't find you because our dorm that we lived in used to be a mall. And I couldn't figure out if you were on the third floor or the eighth floor. And there was an elaborate system to use the elevators but all of the floors had themes and we were on a Hobbit themed floor. And I remember thinking in the dream, oh, this is such a good, this is very auspicious because we're on the Hobbit floor and we have this <laughs> Tolkien podcast. So that's great for us. Uh, and I didn't find you. But then I woke up and I saw that I had Discord messages from you and I was very comforted. <laughs> it's like my sleepy brain was just, oh, good, I found her. Okay. And then I slept through like five more alarms. So... Just to be clear, your college does not have a dorm that used to be a mall, correct? No. <laughs> I think okay. because I recently saw an Instagram reel about somebody who was in Arizona, I want to say, and her school district was building a school inside of a dead mall. But that was awesome because it's fucking hot in Arizona and you can have an indoor playground and it's great and we need more uses for dead malls. So I think my brain was pulling from that subconscious. Also, you and I went to different colleges. Yeah, there is that important fact. Mm -hmm. It was They were several hours drive from each other, and we only sort of knew each other at that point. Yeah. But also important that most of my friends in the city with like, you know, there are a few exceptions. But most of them didn't go to the same colleges that either of us went to. No. There was also, I remember vividly, this, like, and this might be my monster fucker tendencies coming out. There was this, like, <laughs> <laughs> friends, I wish you could see the look on Rin's face right now, of I, dread, uh, resignation, and curiosity mixed into a perfect, perfect facial expression. So there was this, like, 15 foot tall, like giraffe woman <laughs> who I really wanted to impress. I think she was a professor at the college. I don't I'm remember how things went with her. I'm just imagining the uses now for uh, a neck that long. Um, I feel like that would be more of a hindrance than a help in I mean, literally yeah, giraffe, all ways. Giraffe necks are not particularly bendy. No. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a really fascinating, but also very stressful. Like, it felt really important in the dream. And 
Yeah, there was all kinds of other weird stuff that happened, but we don't need to go into full-on dream interpretation. No, um, nor do we need to interpret <laughs> Listeners, the monsters your-, <laughs> your brain wants to fuck. <laughs> tweet your best interpretations of my dream at the Phantom Apprentice or X them at us or whatever it's called now. Yeah, lis- listeners, I just recently finished reading a monster fucker book that I only read because Sam... One of us. One of us. Sort of. Do you just take a long drink of water to avoid saying more? This is not water. (laughs) Oh, spicy. Spicy water. Anyway. um, (laughs) (laughs) Moving away from monster fucking at this time. I love the at this time qualifier. (laughs) And onto an abundance of men in these two chapters. Hello, everyone, (laughs) and welcome back to another episode of The Phantom Apprentice, the podcast where Sam and I talk about Tolkien. Hell yeah. Um, Which one of us is which? I guess, yeah, you said that I'm Sam. I mean, well, yeah, I'm Rin, and I've read Tolkien before. I'm Sam, and I haven't, which I guess is not strictly speaking true. I have only read up to the point that we are discussing. You are in the process of reading Tolkien, and that is the point of the podcast. Aren't we all in our own process in life? Man. the one with a degree in Buddhist philosophy? Maybe. I don't know what Buddha has to say about Lord of the Rings, but probably, mm, I mean, this is probably, God, what are they fucking called? There's, so there's the four noble truths, right? There's a lot of little pithy groupings of things that are easy to remember in Buddhism. And there's three of something that are bad. And they're basically three different like sources of suffering and one of them is more like an attachment y form of greed that whatever the fuck that is that i can google later that's happening this is attachment is the root of all suffering you know you could even just call it the first noble truth no the second it was the second noble truth sorry to other buddhist people the first noble truth is that existence is suffering the second is that desire and or attachment is the root of suffering so there's a lot of suffering happening because of people's desires but some people desire suffering uh depending on your <laughs> desires <laughs> listen whatever anyway. Aragorn desires <laughs> anyway <laughs> i'm very caffeinated also uh, so today we're into the second half of fellowship of the ring and bestie do you have these as chapters 11 and 12, or are they as book two, chapters one and two? I have them as chapters 13 and 14, but maybe I can't count. But regardless, philosophically, I am thinking of them as chapters of the same book, even though it's technically the second book. Yeah, Tolkien did divide these into six books over three volumes. He wanted to publish it all in one, and his publisher said, dude, what the fuck? 
Um, I am sure Alan and Unwin did not say, dude, what the fuck, but I'm going to pretend that they did. They probably said it in some kind of very polite British way that's just as inflammatory. It's like not offering someone tea. Exactly. But anyway, we are discussing the first two chapters in the second half of the book. We are discussing many meetings and the Council of Elrond. I'm going to be pedantic. It's a second third, technically. Of fellowship? Of fellowship? Yeah, because aren't there, isn't it, is it three books? Oh, no, it's each one is two. I'm a stupid dum-dum. Yeah. For some <laughs> reason, I thought it was three in this one. I was so confident. You're very and smart. And I was wrong. You were very smart. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to stop talking now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're going to get as far through Council of Elrond as we can. And we're going to stop when we stop. Because that is a long chapter with a lot going on. I have seven pages of notes. Damn. Okay. So before we get started, do we want to talk about anything else we're already 10 minutes into this podcast nothing that i can think of all right well um let's get started then frodo who passed out at the end after at the end of last chapter after being chased by a bunch of black riders wakes up and is fully disoriented yeah, because Gandalf's just there now, this guy who we've been wondering about for the entire book, just casually vibing. He's in a house instead of being outside. It's, you know, has to be a very disorienting experience. Yeah, and uh, specifically, Gandalf tells him it's 10 o'clock in the morning and the, on October the 24th, if you want to know. And again, with time being so much more important and more specific... Mm-hmm. here right like in the hobbit we got such general sweeping vibes and it's interesting because in fantasy so often in fantasy things take exactly as long as they need to take right and but it's never a set descriptive amount of time it's always oh how long will travel take from here to there well normally on horseback it takes a week and a half but if you go around who knows Um, and then it always takes basically exactly as long as the plot needs to happen. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that makes a lot of sense and is really interesting. Right. But it's really interesting now that Tolkien is so clearly marking time. Mm -hmm. Right. And we have this in the last, in the last couple of chapters too, where they were so clearly marking like, Here's how far they traveled. Here's how long they traveled. Now it's dawn. This is what's happening at dawn. This is what's happening at noon. Here's dusk. It has been three days since they left Bree. So this is uh, kind of kind of interesting just to see that continue. And I kind of want to keep paying attention to that because as we go on in the book, there are going to start to be multiple lines of plot happening at once. And not everything is going to be written down in exact chronological order. Interesting. Okay. So, and I remember that confusing me when I first read it is there's going to be times when like you're reading something and then you'll read the next chapter and it's like, oh, this is taking place two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. 
But throughout the course of the chapter, we're going to get up back to the right time. So I want to see sort of if Tolkien is maintaining that time, that focus on time that he has here. I like that. And I like also just thinking about what you said about time being as long as the plot needs it to be. I don't know if it's overthinking. I mean, a lot of literary analysis just feels like overthinking, but you roll with it anyway, and you somehow get A's on your papers. So in an effort to get a good grade in podcast, normal to want, possible to achieve, it really just contributes to this overall sense that this is a, that we've talked about before, there's always a bigger fish. There is a hostile world that they are fighting against. The Forces that are at play do not want them to succeed. They're so small in comparison to the shit that they are going to have to deal with, you know, right up until time. You know, it's not going to be conveniently everything always takes the amount of time that you need. You're going to fuck around and find out. And if you miss some important events that happen, if you can't catch Gandalf at the inn, if you can't catch up with him when he's fighting the Black Riders, then sucks to suck you're gonna have to figure it out on your own and it's just interesting to put those pieces together yeah um i also like the use of 10 o'clock like so i know that this is supposedly a translation and tolkien has translated terms and names for months and days of the week and times and things so that we as readers can understand right Mm -hmm. That's part of the canon lore of the world. But one, I love that we have um, the same names for the days of the week and um, the months of the year. I love that we have 10 o'clock because it suggests that one, clocks are commonplace enough for folks to divide the day into accurate times. Um, and I did dive down a little bit of a rabbit hole looking at like when clocks became commonplace. Okay. And we've had water, we've had like water clocks and and sun clocks and things since the days of ancient Egypt, mm-hmm. right? Since at least like three, three thirty five, four thousand years ago. Um. So it's not that people haven't been dividing time into sectors, but. One, I like the idea that it's 10 o'clock in the morning, which suggests, one, Frodo knows what a clock is. It's 10 of the clock, Mm -hmm. right? The clock has a time. Frodo knows what it is. And also that at some point in history, people used a base 12 counting system and uh, the hours of the day are what what remains to be reflective of that, which (laughs) I think is just very cool and... uh, Moving on from that, because we are like two paragraphs. <laughs> yeah, no chapter. dialogue has been exchanged so far. Well, we have the Frodo Gandalf or Gandalf telling. Oh, Frodo yeah, saying it's ten o'clock. Is. Okay, yeah, but then um, Gandalf is sort of giving the recap, and Frodo is like how do you know all of this? And it's sort of like unspoken that there's, is there some magic bullshit here? And Gandalf is like, ha, no, you talk in your sleep. (laughs) How do you know all of this when I have been unconscious since the moment it, like I haven't had an opportunity to catch up with my party. It's not like you were chatting with Merry and Pippin and they got you up to speed. He's just like, nah, 
No, you talk in your sleep. <laughs> no, you talk in your sleep. Um, and he had to kick out Sam, who was sitting by his side the entire time. And, you know, Gandalf had to go, listen, bitch, you have not moved from this spot in 14 hours. You need to leave. And I love Sam because he's perfect. I love their love story. It's beautiful. Um, but we we also immediately get into this next page, and we we've been get, getting this slow raising of danger, mm-hmm. right? This whole time, and when Gandalf didn't show back up in the Shire like he said he would, we knew there was something wrong. But Gandalf sort of confirming, yeah, shit went wrong. I got held captive. <laughs> like Gandalf. Gandalf got held captive. We're in so far over our heads right now. Yeah. Um, and he's still so, being a little cagey and Gandalfy about it, but at least we have confirmation of what was up. Well, because lest we forget the first law and the corollaries to the first law is he is still a magic person. Indeed. Which means, one, he's going to be dramatic, and two, he's going to speak in service to the plot first and foremost. Yes. Which means the plot doesn't want him to talk yet. We do have confirmation. We talked last time about like the Ringwraiths being the Black Riders, but now we have confirmation of what they are. And we have their full, their full title with the Nine Servants of the Lord of the Rings. Yes. It's like, oh. Oh shit, they dropped the title. And I hadn't even really thought about what the title would mean. I just, it had never occurred to me. You know, something like Star Wars, you know, okay, there's a war in the stars. That makes sense. Other series where the title is the name of a character or some really obvious thing. You just go, okay. But it had never really occurred to me to think about what Lord of the Rings means. And like everything associated with this fucking ring, it's so much worse than you could have possibly imagined. In the first book, the ring was just this fun little whimsical trinket. And in this one, it's going to possess your soul and destroy everything and turn you into a weird little goblin. So yeah, I'm a bit apprehensive about it. Or a weird little golem. Golem Goblins are their own thing. (laughs) Oh, yes, of course. Lest we forget. So we have Sam still doesn't quite trust Strider. And so we get Frodo. I kind of love the, uh, the Hobbit prejudice then that kind of shows up about the big people about Hobbits, not liking big people. Yes. So we have that like, you know, Oh, I thought all the big people were kind or kind and stupid or mean and stupid, but Strider's not stupid. He's just, strange and really grim yeah (laughs) we're like frodo you should probably be more grim things are bad and gandalf does put him in his place a little bit about that because he specifically is talking about big people being kind and stupid like butterbur and then gandalf goes well butterbur is smart he has skills in his way what was the exact phrase? Something about how he could see through a brick wall if you gave him long enough, you know, just because somebody has intelligence and skills that aren't the same as your intelligence and skills doesn't mean they don't exist. And 
it's pretty stupid of you to go around making assumptions about people in this big, scary world that you find yourself in. Right. Yeah. Um, I I like that it carries over very much into our real world. Is mm-hmm. book, lear- book learning is not the only type of intelligence. Indeed. And also good and evil is not a clear delineation always. So um, we do have then sort of like a lot of very quick information that Gandalf gives. We get the exposition dump a couple of pages into the chapter as opposed to right at the start of the chapter this time. Changing it up a little bit. But we have Gandalf telling Frodo what the rangers actually are. Just the yes. last of a line of kings and great men of the West. Mm-hmm. And then and then we have more on time, right? Frodo asks about, hey, it was the 20th yesterday. How is it the 24th? And Gandalf is like, have we not gone over that you were out cold? I also love that it didn't occur to him to consider that possibility, which granted, if I was waking up from that experience, I might not be thinking my most clearly. But I feel like one of my first questions would be, how long was I out? Which, again, as someone who's very concerned about head injuries and loss of consciousness, because those are both extremely dangerous, if you are just fully out for multiple days, if you are not a magic little hobbit, that could seriously fuck you up forever. You're going to want to get some assessment of the situation, but maybe my priorities are just different from Frodo's. Yeah, and in a world where you can't have like medications and food and drink given to you while you are unconscious yeah. through an IV, um, that's real bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we do have Gandalf talking about the magic dagger. Yes. The Morgul knife, which would have made him into a wraith. You know, he very narrowly avoided. Apparently, the reason that his arm was so fucked up is that there was a little tiny piece of the blade embedded in him. And that makes sense as to why the ring wraiths were so convinced that he was going to die or at least be made amenable to them. Because, yeah, he would have. They had to do some exploratory surgery to get that shit out. Yeah, Elrond had to do some kind of crazy shit. Um, Speaking of, oh, sorry, you had something. Oh, no. I was just going to say, speaking of kind of crazy shit, Gandalf is in the spirit of magic makes you dramatic, talking about what Bilbo missed out on. Fuck, Frodo. (laughs) (laughs) Someone ding the little counter somewhere. Ding. Anyway, talking about what Frodo missed out on when the waves in the river rose up and, you know, had that big to do. He's saying, oh, yeah, I was actually there. I helped. And then just this sassy little line that had to be accompanied by a little hair flip over the shoulder. You may not have noticed, but some of the waves took the form of great white horses with shining white riders. And there were many rolling and grinding boulders. You know, just in case you didn't notice, if you wanted to appreciate my artistry, maybe you don't have to. But I did, you know, save you a little bit. Just... That's the least important thing in this situation, but he needs to make sure that Frodo knows that he put some aesthetic touches on it. It's funny because, like, he put aesthetic touches to Elrond's magic. 
Because he does make clear that like this was Elrond doing this. Because mm-hmm. that's a special look nice. That's his special king powers that he can call on the river and make it do stuff for him. Well, and and so speaking of Elrond being powerful, we also talk a little bit about Glorfindel being yes. powerful. Because we talked last time about how Glorfindel plays a kind of big role in the rest of the legendarium. Mm-hmm. And so to use our metaphor from last time that he's like, he's Hercules showing up in a story of King Arthur. This is uh, Tolkien going, oh yeah, he's the son of Zeus. And the listener going, huh, that's powerful, but still not knowing anything about like the labors or any other stories of Hercules and just kind of knowing, oh, I've stumbled into a fairy tale now. Yeah. Yeah. But then, but then Frodo says he wishes that Bilbo were here so he could tell him this story. It would make him, it would make him laugh and uh, he could tell him the funny parts like the troll and Mm -hmm. the cow jumping over the moon and getting drunk in Bree, which is in the business, what we call foreshadowing. Yeah, I saw that and went, okay, so what I'm hearing is that Bilbo is going to show up any moment now. Yeah. Um, We noted this uh, quote about the last homely house when we read The Hobbit together, right? That the house was a perfect house, whether you like food or sleep or storytelling or singing or just sitting and thinking best or a pleasant mixture of them all. Merely to be there was a cure for weariness, fear, and sadness. That is what I want my home to be. And I think you are achieving that. In all of the places you've lived, you've achieved that. But especially last weekend, we had a Hobbit-themed dinner party in your home. We that was did so lovely. themed dinner we party. We busted out the violas because that's how our crew parties hard. Yeah, we is- had... What was it? Yeah. We had instruments. We had a guitar, a mandolin, a violin, a viola. I just, I have to imagine what your neighbors were thinking, because I assume because you're very courteous people, you and your roommate, that you had let your neighbors know, hey, we're going to be having a party. There's going to be some noise. And just whatever noise your neighbors expected was not going to be the fucking <laughs> violin. I... Um, I know my roommate texted our downstairs neighbor at like 8.30 because they'd forgotten about it earlier Mm -hmm. because we were busy. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like he was sort of like surprised that we were letting him know. He was like, oh yeah, whatever. That's fine. So yes, we did. We did tell them that we were going to be making noise. But that was probably not the sounds that they expected (laughs) no i i very much want to be like just around when you know people i hang out with make music because it is never what you'd expect the group of people assembled to do yeah right like this past weekend it was a bunch of like Irish trad music and like union songs <laughs> amongst your past and present coworkers, just really making a point. 
Yeah, I think most of the folks there are were uh, were pretty pro union. Um, but anyway, the last homely house. Uh, Frodo was no longer in need of rest or sleep, but he had a mind for food and drink and probably for singing and storytelling afterwards. Right. I've, I've sort of lamented in the past on this podcast that like American culture just doesn't have the folk songs that we can all break into at the drop of the hat. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we need more walking songs. I think we need um, more, more songs just for everyday life. It's it's human nature to tell stories and to sing. This is Frodo wanting like food and then a story is exactly the same as us coming home from work and being like, I'm going to make dinner and listen to my audiobook. Yeah. Or I'm going to make dinner and I'm going to go watch some Netflix. Um, whatever. Like this is exactly the same. And also just thinking about, you know, sort of the human connectedness that happens when we share music. That reminds me of some random screenshot of a Tumblr post that I saw on Insta, you know, just filtered through many layers of being stolen about somebody saying, I used to think that I was a really devout Christian and then I deconstructed and realized I just like live music. <laughs> <laughs> And when we were at our Sammy Wright concert last weekend, the same weekend as the Hobbit party, that was a fun weekend. And just being in a giant room with a bunch of people who all knew the same songs and were all singing together was fucking great. And obviously that's not exactly the same thing that you're talking about, but as a deconstructed Christian, you know, it is nice to just have a little bit of that feeling. Well, the opener at the concert we went to talked about growing mm -hmm. up in church and specifically in um, in a black church, where music is such a huge part of uh, um, a huge part of the service itself. And listeners, you can't see us, but we are both uh, very pasty, very yeah. white. <laughs> but I have spent. I'm I'm a musician, and I have spent a lot of my musical career playing jazz. And so back in college, my my band director looked at you know his band full of white musicians from suburbia and went okay y'all are coming to church with me on sunday and we went okay <laughs> and his point was that we were not going to understand the music we were playing until we were in that environment and he was right <laughs> yeah being in that space where everyone knows the music and everyone has the same passion for the music, that was just so wildly important to the feeling of the music and of the story. And also everyone go on Spotify and listen to Church by Britain and the Sting. The number of followers that they have is shameful. We as a society have to fix that because they're fucking amazing. They were so good. Um, but moving on, from church do you want to talk about what happens directly following this yes i do of course i do so there is a very sweet moment that i had to stop in my reading to text you about because i just thought it was so cute in that sam who just cannot bear to be away from frodo which i almost said bilbo again god damn it sam <laughs> bursts in and grabs frodo's hand and just kind of 
like holds it and strokes it for a second and looks at him lovingly in the eyes and, you know, says something to the effect of, oh, you're okay. You know, it's great. Just checking up on you. And then realizes what he's doing and blushes and drops his hand and like backs up a little bit, which was just so sweet and so tender. And however you want to read their relationship, that was a really cute moment. Because even if you have you know, whatever the nature that we want to interpret it. And I think we're going to keep coming back to this, whether you want to read it as a romantic relationship or a queer platonic relationship or a friendship or whatever, no matter how secure you are in whatever type of relationship, you can reach a point where you go, oh, I'm being a little bit, a little bit extra, a little bit sappy now, aren't I? And, you know, regardless of the context, Sam was having that moment. And as someone named Sam who has those moments all the time, I felt (laughs) that in my heart. (laughs) I also sort of could read that as like two friends who are very much okay with physical affection, but also recognizing that your friend has just been through a trauma and it mm-hmm. would probably have be- have behooved you to check in with your friend before touching them. Yeah. Always ask for consent, kids. Mm-hmm. And also that there's another person in the room who is watching this, which maybe they they would be okay with. It was totally private, but then realizing that Gandalf, just imagine reuniting with your loved one and having this moment and then realizing that fucking Gandalf is watching you. Just put Gandalf in a corner into any emotional situation. Gandalf can watch whatever he wants. <laughs> Listen, you you can have him. There are <laughs> many men that I will thirst over in this series. Gandalf doesn't do it for me. You you can have him all to yourself, bestie. No, I I just at one point in my notes mistyped Gandilf, and um, we're just keeping it that way. Yeah, I like that. And also, there are so many uses for magic in the bedroom. So true. Did you know that there is a 3.5 edition edition, uh, compatible fan source book called The Book of Erotic Fantasy that provides rules for sex and pregnancy and venereal disease (laughs) and um, various sex spells in D&D in 3.5 specifically and like subclasses? or like prestige classes, like for various sexual positions and things. It was that's where you get the perfect overlap of polycule D and D party. Because I'm like, what group of people? Also, I'm just a bit of a you know. Despite we can make goofs and laughs and hahas on this show. In real life, I am very buttoned up about any spicy topics. It's just not something I like to talk about. So the very idea that there would be a group of people sufficient to make a D&D party who I would also be comfortable enough with to use any of those mechanics. I made my character a teen specifically so that she would be completely off the table for inter-party romance options because I didn't know any of you fuckers well enough and I thought it would be awkward if anyone started flirting with me and now here we are. So we saw how that worked out. I got more comfortable, but <laughs> yeah, God. Oh boy. Um, anyway, speaking of 
horrible teens. Pippin! Pippin is a horrible teen. Gandalf starts, you know, Pippin starts like making flippant remarks about Frodo being the Lord of the Ring. And Gandalf is like, dude, shut up. Mm-hmm. And Pippin goes, you're so cheerful, basically. <laughs> he goes, you're such a delight. You must be fun at parties. <laughs> God, Pippin, please don't antagonize the thousands of year old wizard. <laughs> Thousands of years old wizard. <laughs> a thousand one year old baby with little wizard hats, but all casting extremely powerful magic. And it's it's a bloodbath. They're destroying society, but not each other because they're invincible because of their wizard powers. What is it like to live in your brain? <laughs> that could be a topic of a whole other podcast. <laughs> Uh, anyway, join us for the Sam's Brain Deep Dive bonus oh, episode. <laughs> yeah, that's called therapy, save. and I pay someone else to listen to it. <laughs> I was going to say, which we would save for your therapist. Yeah. Send a zip file. Be like, hey, this catch up on this before our next session. Anyway, I feel like, I don't know how, Gandalf has a sense of humor, after, have a sense of humor. After thousands of years of being really powerful, you know, maybe it's refreshing to have someone just not be intimidated by you. Teens just aren't intimidated. They're unintimidatable. Except for how they very much are all the time. And if we remember being teens, we'll remember that true. everything is terrifying. But they also put true. out this aura of invincibility. But... I I could talk about children all day, but tweens are my favorite group of people. They just need a fucking break. We can talk about children or we can talk about more immortals. Yes, let's. Um so we get we move on to a feast and we get descriptions of the various feast guests and specifically of the elves. We, we start by being introduced to Elrond and then we are given a description of Gandalf. Um, and then we get a description of Glorfindel who is described as tall and straight. And I refuse to believe that Glorfindel is straight. Elaborate on that. If you live for thousands of years, well, hundreds of years, and then die. Well, thousands. A long time. I, you live for a long ass time, and then you die, and then you're dead for a thousand years. And then the gods are like, hey, go back. And then you're alive for thousands of years again. I refuse to believe that you can find yourself and to uh, one gender. Also, I don't think elves have gender in the way that we do. Yeah, let's I let's mean, explore that more too, because we've talked about hobbit genders. We have talked about hobbit genders and hobbits being a gender. But again, elves, elves are often sort of described as kind of like, throughout Tolkien's books, they're described as a little flighty and... Um, they care about aesthetic things. So I'm sure that 
you know, with their caring about aesthetics and specifics and decoration, I'm sure that their gender presentation, I'm sure that we're like, we are calling these four elves. Well, you know, let's say that we have four named elves because we have four named elves, right? We have Elrond, uh, Glorfindel, Legolas, <laughs> and Arwen, who is mm-hmm. the second woman in the book after Lobelia Sackville Baggins with a name. So we did have Farmer Maggot's wife. Well, no, actually, fuck, I forgot Goldberry. But we talked about Goldberry. And and Goldberry doesn't have a gender either. Yeah, no, we explored that in depth. And I was so ready to go, yes, a confirmed woman. But nah, that's just me with my human gender binary coming and fucking it up. But listen, I'm tr- I'm trying to find an ally. I'm trying to find another woman in these books. <laughs> We're going to keep on trying with that. It's it's not easy. But yeah, no, I I can fully imagine basically thinking that the, there are there is a distribution of genders that is 75%, 25% in that group of four elves when it is actually every one of those elves has a different gender and probably a different one for each day of the week. Mm-hmm. And the elves can tell. Oh, they for know. sure. Yeah, because that's, you know, it's supposed to be readable by other members of your society. So yeah. Right. But the hobbits are like, I know jack shit. I'm sorry, big people have genders? <laughs> What's a gender? Gender in my big people? It's more likely than you think. Um, yeah. So I, I refuse to believe that any elf can be straight. And I also refuse to believe that elves have gender in remotely the same way that we do. I like it. So all elves are queer, but we do then have, so we have the introduction of Arwen. um, And it said that she looks a lot like Luthien of Mm -hmm. Baron and Luthien fame. And lest we forget, Luthien is her great, great grandmother. So that would make sense. It makes sense. We get a whole backstory in a paragraph. Um, and then we we learn that you know her mother was tortured long ago by orcs and her brothers are wandering warriors and they go and fight the orcs in, in revenge and also that arwen's mother who we don't have a name for is from a place called lorien beyond the mountains So, and then we're introduced, because we keep getting introduced to characters here, right? That's why this chapter is called Many Meetings, because there's a lot of fucking meetings. There's a lot of fucking meetings, which honestly feels like my work week. Yeah. Oof. Too many meetings. Um, But we get Gloin, which is a name that we know, who I don't think had a single speaking line in all of The Hobbit, but was a companion on the quest. Yeah. Anyone familiar at this point, I'll take. Yeah, um, but we get all sorts of backstory from Gloin, right, about, like, what's happened in the intervening 70 years, because mm-hmm. it has been 70 years. <laughs> yeah, and thinking more about our sense of time and our scale of time, 
we have been sort of operating on the small town, chill, shire scale of things where 70 years can pass and not a hell of a lot happens. But in even if you are a very long-lived or immortal being, if you're out in the world, 70 years is plenty of time for a lot of things to happen. And so there's been a lot going on. Lived, yeah, even for yeah. these longer-lived beings. Like, from what we've seen, everyone lives longer in Middle-earth, right? We have uh, respectable old hobbits at, 111, although 17 years later, um, where he is a hundred and, oh God. 28? 128, yes. That took too long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Bill was 128 now and still going, although that may be the ring's influence. We have Dane in the Iron Hills, who is who has been ruling for um, 70 years and was several hundred years old before then. Cause he's a similar age to Thorin Oakenshield and Thorin was, I think over a hundred, like at least, or the, he'd been around at least fighting for like over a hundred years prior to the start of the Hobbit. Mm-hmm. And then we have, of course, the immortal elves and Gandalf. And we have no idea how old Strider is. But eventually we might learn more about that. Who knows? I don't know. I don't really think it's plot relevant, so I can probably tell you. He is 80, I think, at this point. Oh, that's not the number that I expected. Yeah, because he looks like he's probably 30. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he can still get it, but yeah, damn, that is not what I would have guessed. Is he, I don't know if this is a spoiler, so you don't have to answer it. And I also won't look at your facial expression when I ask you this, but is he like a regular human? Is he some kind of other thing? I I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but that'll just be. I mean, he is of the Dunedain. And the Dunedain, as we'll get confirmed, is it next chapter? But the Dunedain are men of Numenor, which are their Numenor is basically the Atlantis of this world. It's like the, you know, super advanced, super powerful kingdom of men that fell long mm-hmm. ago. And so men of the race of Numenor were once more numerous, numerous. pun not intended. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've faded over time and their blood has become diluted in the intervening several thousand years. Okay. That makes sense. So he is, but as we'll get confirmed next chapter, he is the heir to a kingdom of Numenorians, basically. So he is, he is essentially a, you know, quote unquote, pure Numenorean. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the idea is sort of almost that like Numenorians did at one point mingle with the blood of elves too. So they are longer lived than your average human. Okay. That makes sense. 
Oh, I was just going to say, speaking of old friends circling back around to old dwarf friends, we do get an update on Bomber, my favorite dwarf, who in The Hobbit, every time he came up, the reason that he became my favorite was because everyone was just talking shit about him constantly. Everything that happened was most of the dwarves went off to do something cool. And then Bomber, who was very fat, had to stay behind. Or everyone was doing something great. And Bomber, who was this big fat idiot, they're just so mean to him constantly. And I thought, oh, a Bomber update. Maybe this will be about how he, like everyone else, has been successful and thriving in the intervening years. No, fuck no. They doubled down on the Bomber hate. And let's see, I have the quote. Bomber was now so fat that he could not move himself from his couch to his chair at a table, and it took six young dwarves to lift him. Like, what? Why do you have to be so mean about it? <laughs> He's a perfectly nice dwarf who did his part, and everyone can just lay off, and he can be as fat as he wants. He fucking restored the king under the mountain layoff. <laughs> and survived. Yeah. And was always nice to Bilbo. Yeah, he was always really nice. They had a little, you know, heart-to-heart -heart conversation. He's fine. But yeah, the, these books just hate him. And I think hashtag justice for Bomber. Um, we do also hear, though, that Balin, Ori, and Oin are missing. Mm-hmm. Which Oin is Gloin's brother. And their father's name was Groin. So I just, I just need... <laughs> The public knowledge. Um, Gloin does talk about Bilbo as if he were dead and gone. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting considering it was like we, the last, last couple paragraphs, last few pages, we were definitely sure Bilbo was about to show up. And now I'm sitting here, if I was reading this for the first time, I'd be sitting here thinking like, are we about to visit Bilbo's grave? Oh, that's so sad. Like, what are we about to do here? Yeah. Because, I mean, we did kind of, I think we talked about this way back in the beginning, about how he's going on this journey to die, basically. He's going off to wrap up his business, wrap up his life. So it would not be out of the question that the reason we brought him up earlier in the chapter was to go, hey, everybody, remember Bilbo, the real Bilbo, and not what we accidentally keep calling Frodo? Yeah, he <laughs> was great, and we loved him, and he's fucking dead now. So that would make sense as a writing choice. But thankfully, that is not the case. And he's no. just being an angsty little baby in the corner. He is being an angsty little baby in the corner. But we do see him. Yes. Um. Which is wonderful. Um, and Bilbo and Frodo get to catch up. Um, and we sort of get final confirmation that the ring is definitely a corrupting influence. And Bilbo cannot have it anymore. I have a quote. Can I read my yes. quote? Yes. So... We're talking about the ring and Bilbo's getting a little too interested, a little too excited. And Frodo's kind of trying to gently push back and Bilbo's going, hey, can I see it? You know, it's been so long since I've seen the ring, maybe just to look at it. And Frodo goes, well, I'm sure it looks exactly the same as it did last time you saw it. You know, it hasn't changed. You don't need to look at it. But then Frodo finally- Because Frodo's paid attention. Yes. Yes. Because he's a smart cookie. And he finally gives in. And then here's the quote. 
Slowly, he drew it out. Bilbo put out his hand, but Frodo quickly drew back the ring. To his distress and amazement, he found that he was no longer looking at Bilbo. A shadow seemed to have fallen between them, and through it he found himself eyeing a little wrinkled creature with a hungry face and bony groping hands. He felt a desire to strike him. And that's fucking creepy. And we're getting this, I'm not sure what the magical mechanic is that's happening here, but this brief vision of a physical manifestation of what the ring is doing to Bilbo's soul, basically. Does that description of the little wrinkled creature with a hungry face and bony groping hands sound familiar to you, perhaps? It most certainly does. Yeah. Um, but we've been getting, through this whole conversation, a description of Bilbo's friend, the Dunedan. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learn very quickly that as we knew, it was Strider. Unless we were about to meet another ranger, it was definitely Strider. Um, and I never learned Tolkien's languages because I'm not great with languages, but I, I'm sort of picking up that like I think I think Dunadain. D-U-N-A-D-A-I-N is the plural, and Dunadan is singular. If I'm getting that wrong, um, someone can correct me. But Bilbo calls out Frodo for not getting Dunadan because it's elvish. Mm-hmm. And Bilbo goes, Did I not like, did I not teach you the language? Like, yeah. aren't you fluent? <laughs> Dude, embarrass me in front of my friends. Um, which is kind of hilarious. Um, and will come up again with Frodo just not understanding elvish names for things. Yeah, and also apparently Bilbo was sitting with Sam by Frodo's side the entire time that he was unconscious, which is just nice. It's sweet, you know. We have this sort of it's a reunion and it's nice but it's also sort of weird intense with the ring but then that reminder that he was there the entire time that Frodo was passed out just kind of brings some more warmth back into their interaction which I appreciated yeah I mean because lest we forget Bilbo did raise him yeah also um I'm scrolling down in my notes and realizing that I did in fact do the math out earlier for how old Bilbo is. So we did not just have to sit here and listen to me do the math for five minutes. It's okay. For basic addition. <laughs> I'm a scientist. Listen, scientists have access to calculators. So to everybody's fourth grade math teacher who said, you're not always going to have a calculator on you. Well, Mrs. Benson, look where I am now. Um, well, Anyway, my last two little things from this chapter are just like, this is one of those things that is sort of knowledge that I have absorbed by osmosis, just being a person exposed to pop culture. I know Aragorn and Arwen get together at some point. I don't know mm -hmm. if they are an item as of the events of this chapter. But I do love that Bilbo is giving Aragorn a hard time about it. He's going, hey, why weren't you at the feast? Arwen was there. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And just that they can have this very silly little ribbing interaction was just delightful and it made me happy. 
Because to Bilbo, it's so goddamn obvious. This is this is a queer man uh, bugging his straight friend. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Which is perfect. Yeah, so that happens. Um, and then Bilbo does a long chant that I don't understand. I don't know how important it is. But I didn't dedicate many of my brain cells to trying to figure it out. I, you know, read it over, of course. Because um, we do get a mention of, or the our first mention of the Silmaril. Mm-hmm. Which we, of course, recognize as people who exist in this Tolkien world as being the name behind the Silmarillion. Right? We don't really get any more information about the Silmaril or the Silmarils, but it is something that stands out to us as people who exist in a world where Tolkien has written the Silmarillion. Mm -hmm. It's just something to keep an eye on. And the Silmarillion came out after all of the books, I assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's just, you know, thinking about us as modern readers if you were reading this book at the time it came out you wouldn't have even known that that was important but now that we have access to all of his works we can go oh yeah this is that thing that comes up later which i just think right. is kind of but cool. tolkien did have a bunch of that written he had a bunch of this these myths and legends and the story of the world that existed around his uh around his writings starting in like 1914 19 or even before um yeah but like if you were a reader you no, would know if, no absolutely um, yeah but tolkien did tolkien knew this was important of course um, he did which is kind of great because there there's plenty of authors who like slip things into their books and go i don't know what i'm gonna do with that but we'll figure it out later <laughs> Or they'll go back to something that just happened. Like in Star Wars, for example, like every dude in the background of the original movies has a full fucking backstory. Like even if they have no speaking lines, the camera glosses over them. They have a full backstory, which is where the glup shitto meme comes in. But we'll talk about that when we talk about Star Wars. I have to know everything about glup shitto. <laughs> Okay, just uh, put that on the back, back until we talk about. <laughs> not yeah, e it's not even on a burner. It's on the deep freezer, and we'll defrost it, and then we'll put it on the back burner. But anyway, we have more beefy chapter to at least touch on with the remainder of we our time. Do um, but just finishing out this chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Bilbo's uh, song is about Yerendil and Elwing who are, of course, Elrond's parents, <laughs> as we'll learn in the next chapter, which is why Aragorn makes a comment that, like, that was fucking cheeky to do here. Mm -hmm. If you're just going to kind of make fun of his parents in his own home. So it was you. making fun of them. That was going to be my question. Was, was it a favorable description of his parents? But clearly not. I don't think... Uh, it was unfavorable the way I read them. I don't think necessarily it was, you know, 
not singing their praises and singing their great deeds. It's just sort of a story about them. But I mean, imagine if I, I came to your home and <laughs> I told uh, a tale <laughs> about um, <laughs> yeah, that's if nothing else, that's just a weird choice. We can bleep out their names. <laughs> yeah. No. It's, it would be even if you came in and started telling a story about <laughs> Okay. The wildest thing that's ever happened Which, to my mother. Which especially because that, I've never met your mother. <laughs> I hope and pray that one day you will. Because with just the briefest interaction, you'll take her in and you'll go, ah, it all makes sense. All of the piece. If there is anything about me that's still mysterious to you at this point, which I doubt that there is, but if there is anything that is unresolved, it will just all slide into place and you will understand everything about me. Fair enough. Um, Sam's mom, if you're listening. Uh, hello. Nice to meet you. Um, Hi. Sam Hi. desperately hopes that you're not. Hi, mom. Please, please turn off the podcast. It only gets worse from here. Oh, um, I'm, like, I'm like about to take the, I was about to say Jesus Christ, but I was like, no, I'm going to take the Lord's name in vain. <laughs> oh. oh God. Anyway. Bilbo mentions a few times that he is getting very old. Mm-hmm. Right. And we've, we did just talk about this. He is 128, which is definitely getting on in years for a hobbit. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, do you want to dive into the Council of Elrond and get through a little of it? Um, Hell yeah. Because it is a big chapter. So, and one of the things that I want to bring up at the top of the chapter, and I'll probably bring it up in the next episode when we finish too, is that this chapter is reads a lot like parts of the Eddas or um, parts of the sagas. This is This is a very familiar format to me. This is a frame story with smaller stories being told within. Right? So while I think this can read like a lot of exposition to people, you know, for me reading this now as an adult with the the literary background that I have, this all makes perfect sense to me. This is this is establishing a world and giving background for all the characters that we're about to meet um, and establishing a legendarium. Yeah. And I think that's definitely something that takes some context and some experience to appreciate because definitely I think before I had my literary background that I do now, I also would have just gone, Oh, this is a bunch of exposition. This is stupid. Um, Something that I had mentioned to you previously is the thing that this reminds me of with all of the mm-hmm. listing of people and their little anecdotes about stuff. I know we were just talking about Buddhism, but also in the Hebrew Bible slash Old Testament, whatever you want to call it. I call it the Hebrew Bible, but that's just me. The book of Numbers, which is basically just a it's it's called numbers for a reason. It's just, you know, so-and-so begat so-and-so, and they all had 15 camels and 120 tents, and this is how many bowls they all packed, whatever. You know, that used to be my least favorite part of the Hebrew Bible until I was taking some classes in college, and I was just 
exploring it more out of my own interest. And there's actually a lot of really fascinating, interesting stuff going on in there. And I had really underestimated numbers. But just at the surface level, if you have no context, it is just your eyes glaze over with the lists of information and whose nephew is who. And you just go, why does this matter? I'm not going to remember any of it. But you have to take in the bigger picture. Um, that's fair. Yeah. I totally had another comment and I completely forgot what it is. So with that the utter, mind, the utter boringness of the book of numbers just erased your brain. I, it has been a long time since I have read any part of the Bible. That's fine. <laughs> You're not missing out on anything. No, I mean, I think there's a piece of me that kind of wants to go back with my modern, uh, I read a lot of mythology brain and a lot of epic poetry brain. So I, I could, I can go in with that mindset rather than with the mindset of, I don't think I believe in any of this. Read the book of Job. It's my favorite book. I wrote so many fucking papers about Job. It. <laughs> It's especially if you're like an angsty, like deconstructed ex-Christian person. Mm, chef's kiss. Love Job. Well, we <laughs> have just, a job. I was going to say, I was just but, imagining um, like a bumper sticker that's like, I heart Job. But if you have no context, it's like a heart job, which would be such a stupid sticker. And I love it and I need it for my car. <laughs> it's like um, my coworker last year. We had a socket Santa. Mm -hmm. Everyone gave socks to each other. And uh, she got me ones that say on the top, I love my job. And then on like the instep of the foot, it says, just kidding. Uh <laughs> this is my last Bible thing. I swear. Um, a friend of ours years ago once saw a bumper sticker on a car that said Catholic, but she thought it said cat Holic, you know, and it's just, oh yeah, I'm a big cat I lover. I love cats. And no, she's Catholic. So that's the energy that I want the I Heart Job sticker to bring to the world. But anyway, bringing it back to our job of talking about The Hobbit. But we get Frodo waking up. Yes. Um, and then we get summoned to the Council of Elrond. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to notice one line here behind them uninvited and for the moment forgotten trotted sam we make jokes about sam being in love with frodo and vice versa but right here i think we really notice the class divide yeah right where sam is a servant and so he is a part of the scenery and can be forgotten about entirely when it's no longer convenient to deal with him. Mm -hmm. And he can also just use that to show up places. Yeah. Because he is just a part of the scenery around Frodo. I have so many thoughts and feelings about this <laughs> in this dynamic. And like, do you want to elaborate on those thoughts and feelings? <laughs> I'm trying to let them percolate through my brain. But I think the first thing that's occurring to me is just that you know we have this very intense bond that they obviously share and also the reality of their class difference in that Sam is Frodo's servant and those two things don't negate each other and i think they reinforce each other in 
really intense and complicated ways. And, you know, if it is your job to serve this person, that even if you had no pre existing friendship, even if your personalities weren't that compatible, eventually, if you are just around someone long enough and you get to know them well enough, you're either going to hate them or you're going to grow attached to them. You know, it's hard to be indifferent towards someone when just the nature of your nine to five is that intimate. But then also having these additional really strong feelings and, you know, the bond they obviously do share, that's just got to be, they must be having such different experiences of their relationship. Yeah. I mean, and you work in a domestic setting. I do. So I I imagine like. Like, yeah. I mean, I definitely experienced that to a different degree. Um, You know, with childcare, I obviously have very strong feelings towards my children and I do genuinely love them, but it's, you know, a bit of a different dynamic. But like, especially if you are two adults, like that is just beyond what I can even imagine. Right. And so like that relationship is very clearly what Tolkien is writing, Mm -hmm. right? For us as modern queer readers, we're going to not read that in the same context because we have never grown up in a world where one, where that type of relationship is, is commonplace because we're middle-class Americans (laughs) Yeah. We like it when it's gay. Mm-hmm. So. I also just feel like the, like, chronically online impulse would be to, like, cancel Frodo for being problematic and, like, exploiting his employees' feelings. Going, this is an HR violation. You know, that's me being a little bit silly, but there is that, like, tiny voice in my brain that says that. But I like having this complicated dynamic to just kind of sit with and see how it plays out. And I don't think that it, you know, I don't think there's any inherent moral quality to their relationship, whether good or bad, but I like it. I enjoy it. And this is sort of where, you know, us coming in as contemporary readers just shakes it up a little bit and it's really fun. Moving on from that, we suddenly get introduced to a whole lot of people very fast. Yeah. And in the interest of time, I don't know if we need to list all of them, but which ones should we highlight? We get introduced to Strider and Gloin and Glorfindel, who we all know, right? And then we get introduced to Arrestor and Galdor, who serves somebody named Sirdan the Shipwright. And I do want to point out that Arrestor sounds like an erectile dysfunction medication. (laughs) That was my first thought. Is it an elf or is it a pharmaceutical? (laughs) I was thinking about that with Numenor, honestly, not with the ED specifically, but like just it sounds like a medication. Take Numenor for all your joint pain problems. (laughs) (laughs) Side effects may include. Side effects may include your island sinking to the bottom of the sea. Uh, the gods taking out their wrath upon you. Uh, <laughs> Sauron rising again as a giant eye. Anyway, we get Legolas, son of Thranduil, who is king of the elves in Mirkwood and canonically fucks. 
Yes. We did we did discuss this when we were reading The Hobbit that Thranduil definitely fucks. And I don't remember the context, but it probably had something to do with the fact that Lee Pace played him hmm. in the Hobbit in the Peter Jackson Hobbit movies. I'm just gonna Google him for normal reasons. <laughs> and Lee Pace can fucking get it. Oh yeah, he can. Okay. <laughs> I like all of his, all of the pictures of him are making this same like steely expression where his, his face is at like an angle and he's just sort of brooding under these massive eyebrows. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he can get it for sure. For sure. I'd bend the knee before that King. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey. Um, but this is not a game of Thrones podcast where we talk about bending the fucking knee all the time. Oh God. No, um, never going to do game of Thrones. No, not a fan of the series, to be honest. Anyway, where was I in my notes? Oh, and Boromir, a man from the south. With no other information? He's just a man? Well, no, we get a, we get like a lot, a good physical description, mm-hmm. right? And then we just get kind of, he's a man from the south. He has questions. They will cool. be answered. And we are going to answer the question. He's not asking any of them yet, but we are going to go through them and we're going to go through them one story at a time where everyone can sort of talk about why they're here, what's troubling them. And this is where we start to realize that, oh, Sauron is a problem for everyone. Mm -hmm. Right? And we've all started seeing it and it's all coming back to this ring. Right? We start with Gloin. He gives his history. He talks about he talks about Moria. Yes. Khazadum, which is which at one time was a great city of the dwarves, but they dug too deep and they awoke the nameless fear. And that, kids, is what we call foreshadowing 30 years ago they say, again, with time. But 30 years ago, they sent a message, or they sent explorers to Moria to try and reclaim it, thinking perhaps it had been long enough, and there were messages coming in for a while, and then nothing. Until a messenger came from Mordor, seeking hobbits and said that three of the old dwarf rings, which we know there are seven would be given to them. uh, Or else a compelling offer. Here's the thing. Sauron needs to read the evil overlord rules. Like you can't say the or else bit. Mm -hmm. You can't let, them all know, hey, I'm an evil bastard. Right? The or else bit outs you as an evil bastard. You have to leave it at what he said. He was, you know, he wished for our friendship and he would give rings for it as he gave of old. I just want information about hobbits. You know, find news of the hobbits and give it to me and you'll have my friendship. And then you let that sit there. You don't then go, 
Ew. Do you refuse? Um, you know. And then when Dane says, you know, the time of my thought is my own to spend, you don't give for the present. Like, yeah. so fucking ominous. Dude, we know you're evil. Also, just what a weird choice to go to Moria, to go and talk to the dwarves about hobbits. Why not just do some more exploring? If you're going out on this big quest on behalf of your evil overlord, why don't you just keep riding for a little while longer? You'll find the hobbits eventually. You can get a better firsthand account. I mean, here's the thing is they didn't know where the hobbits were. Mm-hmm. And in the previous chapter, Gandalf mentions that the Shire has a magic all of its own, mm-hmm. right? And we know that the rangers have been protecting the borders of the Shire. Yes. So with all of that together, I think a lone messenger or a lone explorer from Mordor would not have gotten very far. But they knew about the dwarves and they knew that they've managed to trick and hoodwink the dwarves before with the rings in the past. And they know that the dwarves know about hobbits. Mm -hmm. So instead of just kind of like wandering willy nilly and wandering into the rangers, if they get more direct information, then they can go from there. That makes sense. Also only loosely related thinking about rangers and ways in which Lord of the Rings diverges from D&D. Here, rangers are actually useful. Ouch. Uh, I'm not wrong, though. That's the thing. In first edition AD&D, rangers were actually really good. Rangers had some like light thief abilities. They got magic user spells at level 8. At level one, they had two hit dice instead of one. So they started with like 16 health instead of like 10 mm-hmm. for like any normal fighter. Um, they were they were pretty solid. But that's not um, the world we live in now. But that is not the world we live in now. They were they're miraculously unbalanced and get like they get an ability at like level 17 in fifth edition that I think rogues get at like level six or something it's kind of ridiculous anyway anyway uh this is not a DD podcast it's not another DD pod- podcast um <laughs> but um but anyway gloin finishes his story and elrond goes well that's bad let me put your story in context and then we get the history of the fucking world and is that the thing that's preceded by, I think it's Gandalf saying, things shall be openly spoken that have been hidden from all but a few until this day. Or does that come later? Um, I thought that was a really badass quote. I don't see it in the text right here. It might be a little bit later. Because this is all specifically Elrond speaking. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, that might be a little further on. I think it's a little further on. But Elrond, because Elrond says, you know, what will we do with this ring, the least of rings, that trifle that Sauron fancies? Because that's what Sauron's messenger said to the dwarves. It's a trifle mm-hmm. that Sauron fancies. What is what is this doom that's upon us, right? 
and he gives a history of the world and the history of the last war and the last alliance of men and elves against Sauron, of Numenor, its glory and its fall. Uh, we learn about Arnor, the kingdom of Arnor in the north, and Gondor. Um, and then Elrond is like, and I was there too. And Frodo was like, bitch, what? Yeah. And Elrond goes, I'm really old. Moving on. I've seen some shit. <laughs> Basically. Um, there are so many names to keep straight here. Right? And I think when this is sort of what pushed me off of particularly like the Silmarillion and the Unfinished Tales when I was younger, because it's all like this. Mm-hmm. It's all name after name. You know, I was the Herald of Gilgalad. I was at the Battle of Dagolad before the Black Gate of Mordor, where we had the mastery for the Spear of Gilgalad and the Sword of Elendil, Iglos and Narsil, none, none could withstand. Uh, the Slopes of Orodruin. Um, there's so many names. Right? And it's so hard to keep straight. Yeah. But now, as we've mentioned, uh, sagas and the Eddas are also like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so many names. Also and I'm just, so much more used to it. As someone who has a hard time naming things in general, for example, my childhood imaginary friend was named Friend. My pink blanket that I carried around was named Pink Blankie. My little cat toy, Stripey Kitty. And, you know, that naming convention has carried through the rest of my life. I'm just impressed that Tolkien could come up with that many distinct names. Sure, some of them sound similar, but he came up with like a fucking million characters. So, I mean, he also came up with a whole language. Like, yeah, that was that was his thing was he came up with the language and then he built a world around that language. Yeah, so I'm very impressed. Even if I don't know who all of these people are or what their deal is, I have to respect it. Right? Yeah. Well, and place names are really important to language. So, um, because they tell us, you know, like who in particular mythologies and who was important and why they were important, where they were worshipped, what have you. Mm -hmm. Um, There are certain uh, deities from uh, pre-Christian religions that we don't really have like textual attestations of, but we do have a shit ton of place names for them. And so we know that they had to be important because we might only know their name from one poem, but apparently everyone else knew their fucking name. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of names. There's a lot of history and, you know, I can talk about how this is similar to the sagas and the Eddas, but we know the reason for that. We know that that's because the, those were Tolkien's influences. Mm-hmm. He he talked about in some of his letters uh, um, the saga of the Volsungs being one of his favorite stories as a child. Right? He was England's foremost Beowulf scholar for decades so this is all these are all pieces that Tolkien is intimately familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think it makes it makes total sense that that's 
what I'm relating this to now as somebody who has also read that material in an academic context. Yeah. But the one other piece that Elrond is uh, sort of bringing up as as he's going through all this is he's referring to like a larger mythos that the list it's kind of expected that the listener is familiar with right but we as readers aren't because as we've said things like the Silmarillion and the unfinished tales were not published at this time right this is not information that a first time reader has you you just said that you don't know what any of this is like who any of these people are um we just know that they're important and maybe they'll come into play later. Yeah. So I can totally see how people find Lord of the Rings to not be approachable and somewhat difficult to get through at times, which is why we are going line by line because that's definitely the most approachable way to do it. Well, I was going to say, you know, my own personal experience, and I've talked about this on previous episodes, that I am representation for not super close readers and you can still have a wonderful time and fully experience the books if you just let your eyes skip over a little bit if you don't get everything in the fucking council of elrond it's fine you're still gonna be able to understand the plot you're still gonna have a good time with the story you can still enjoy it you know it's not like someone is gonna come up to you and go oh yeah you are you a real Tolkien fan? Name everybody who's at the Council of Elrond. I'm sure those people do exist, but they if they do, they don't matter. You know, <laughs> there's they don't lots matter. Of- and if if you're here, this is not the podcast for you. Yeah. This is the first time that I'm super closely reading these, you know, with my now academic background in influences that Tolkien had. Um I read these as a hobby as a kid. And I yeah. loved them and really enjoyed them. And they were hugely influential to who I am as a person and as a nerd and as a D&D player. But I was not doing this line by line bullshit. I was skipping over a bunch of these names and uh, letting it all skate by. Yeah. And I mean, that's the whole reason that we're here. It's about what sticks out to you. It's about what makes your experience with the story personal and meaningful. And for us, we're doing all of this deep diving because that's enhancing our experience. It's making it more fun for us to dig into all of these things and for me to hear you talk about it. But if you're someone who doesn't find that fun, that's fine. And we're glad that you're here. And if you know someone who is hesitant to either read these books or get into other similar fandoms because they're afraid of people being nitpicky and feeling like the only way you can enjoy something is if you know everything. That's how I felt when I first started playing D&D is I was so intimidated by how much you specifically and everyone else in our group (laughs) knew because I was just like, oh my God, all of these people have been doing this for years and they all know all of these words that I don't know and they know all these things that I don't know. And I'm just here because I want to have fun. And then I let myself just have fun and everyone was super nice and I had a great time, you know? I mean, Specifically, your spouse and Mm -hmm. I and one of our other players have been all playing D&D together since we were like 10 years old. Yeah. You know, for all of us burnt out former gifted kids, pleasures to have in class, there can be (laughs) a need to be perfect at everything by whatever arbitrary standards our brains come up with. And 
in here in our little bubble of the Fandom Apprentice in your ears. You don't have to worry about that. It's fine. You do not have to be perfect. We will not be perfect. We are here to have a good time as we continue on with these stories, which we will pick up next time with Boromir's tale. This is feeling like vaguely Chaucerian almost. Yeah. <laughs> In a way. You've got the knight's tale and the baker's tale and the ranger's yeah. tale. Yes. The man from the south's tale. The elf king's tale. The elf lord's tale. Um do elves have tails? I don't know. That's like, entirely different. Can we tell that it's late at night and I'm starting to <laughs> lose it a little bit, which makes this a perfect time to end it. So Sam, anything else to wrap up before we clear the fuck out of here? Nah, that's it. I'm just thinking about finding out what elves got going on under their tunics. But, you know, those can be private thoughts. <laughs> if you would also like to see what elves have got going on... <laughs> In the ass area. <laughs> I think this is um, false advertising. We can't promise that people will find that out. But you know, maybe it's just if you are, if that's, if you're also an, enth an enthusiast, <laughs> if you also would <laughs> like to know, we can't provide those answers. But if you just want to bond over wanting to know, then you can kind of be cool about, about it. Be cool. Don't be weird, you guys. If you want to know more about Elf Ass, you can follow us on our social media, and I am sure we will discuss more about Elf Ass on a God, I podcast. hope. Manifesting that. <laughs> what are our socials, um, Rin? <laughs> Let's pull it you can follow us on Instagram, uh, X, or TikTok at fanapppod. Um, you can send us an email if you have things that you would email a podcast about at the fandom apprentice at gmail.com. Um, and speaking of what you said earlier, getting a good grade in podcasting, which is mm -hmm. normal to want and possible to achieve. It is possible to achieve with your help, dear listener. You can leave us a rating a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you're using, if that is something that you can do. If you can leave us a written review, that's even better. Um, we love that. It really helps people find the podcast. But the best way for people to find the podcast is word of mouth. So if you like what you've been listening to, um, our strange brand of shenanigans, first of all, thank you. And second of all, please let your friends know. Um, let your friends know about the podcast and subject more people to our shenanigans. Hell yeah. I love it. I love it too. Um, with that, we will pick up next time uh, very early in the Council of Elrond with Boromir's Tale and we'll go from there, I guess. All right. See you next so, time, friends. Until next time. Have a lovely week or two weeks or however long our release schedule is. I don't actually know. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> the Phantom Apprentice is produced and edited by Rin and Sam. Our music was composed and performed by James and our art is by Casey Turgeon. 
This podcast is created for non-commercial entertainment purposes, and the opinions expressed therein are our own and are not reflective of the opinions of any other person or organization. The content discussed is the property of the Tolkien Estate and is used here under fair use. Thank you.